Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Chris Graham, joined tonight by Christian Jasper and James Watson for another edition of Pizza at the Pagoda. Boys, we had a ton of racing action this past weekend. Some scares, some officiating questionableness. Uh, we'll get James worked up here in just a little bit. Uh, but first, let's uh, and a couple. How about a couple of badass race winners too here? Uh, but first, we'll start off with boys. What are we drinking tonight? Oh, your boy had to go a little bit kosher today. I guess Just made <laughs> some breakfast. I do what I want. I'm grown. I got orange juice today. That's beautiful. Nice breakfast meal at. Let me see. You're in Nashville, so you're an hour behind us too. So six in the evening. Nice breakfast glass, OJ. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. James, what do you have in front of you tonight? Uh, my tears and some blueberry lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 lemonade oh, could be a little watered man. down after you after uh this past weekend. I I have a I have a German Paps blue ribbon in front of me. It's called a Heineken. And they're not very good, but it's barley hops and water, and I'll drink it. Why would you do this to yourself? Because uh, it was available in the fridge down here. It was gifted. And I will never look a gift beer in the mouth. Uh, I'll <laughs> give you that one. I'll give you that one. But with that, let's let's turn our attention here to a thoroughly fascinating weekend in Detroit. Um, Race number one, we talked a little bit about how the format could play screwy with things, and it did in several ways here. But Marcus Erickson getting his first career win, <clears throat> excuse me, by 1.7 seconds over Renus VK. Pato Award was third. Sato, Graham Rahal rounding out the top five. Fantastic day for Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing as Santino Ferrucci came home in the sixth position. Alexander Rossi, the highest finishing of the Andretti Autosport cars in the seventh position. Scott Dixon, eighth, Ed Jones, ninth, Joseph Newgarden, your top ten. And finishing in, oh, let's see, keep looking down the list. Twentieth position was willpower. Rage, pain. Anger, Man. frustration, humiliation. I'm gonna be real. I'm not a huge willpower fan, but I'm honestly pretty gutted for him. That was um that was that was silly. It, it it was silly. As as hot as it is in Detroit, as humid as it is in Detroit, they they know that not only just the drivers, but the cars need fans on them too. I I think it was kind of silly to not let teams put fans on these cars when they were coming in. Um, I, the, the red flag, the red flag happening is kind of, I, I feel like it's kind of moot. You know, I, I don't feel one way or the other about it, but not letting teams have fans on the car sooner than that. That's mm. uh, yeah. Here's the problem. The explanation that I saw from Kyle Novak, the race director for IndyCar, and this is all completely logical. Whether you agree with the logic or not is an entirely different story, but 
teams are not allowed under when the red flag is displayed teams are not allowed to touch the race car for cooling driver assistance etc until all cars have come to a stop on pit road i that to me is a very big safety thing you don't necessarily know what shape these cars are coming back in and if there's potentially damaged race cars returning to pit road etc um i mean i see it at dirt tracks all the time a guy will drive his car to tech with no seat belts no helmet no nothing in his street clothes you're in a race car these things are not built like passenger cars where throttles don't stick and all those kinds of things i understand why as we saw with felix rosenquist what can happen when the computer takes a dump on your throttle connection to the computer there's really nothing that indycar could do let the you got the cars have to come to a stop before you can start putting fans and stuff on so it then raises the question of can you red flag races late i would argue yes build a more robust cooling system for your ecus you know i can't argue that i i can't argue that yeah, I mean, it's I, I know it's kind of infuriating to James over here as a a diehard Will Power fan. In fact, we even gave you <laughs> well, you weren't even here last week, and we gave you Will Power in the picks. Um, <laughs> yeah, because we all we all know at this point, I'm not going to choose anyone but him, and I was so close to being right. True. And no shame, you know what you about. I, you, you know what? Let's, I mean. It, let's kind of get off the whole red flags and fans thing. How about Will Power had a fantastic day on Saturday in Detroit? He did. Yeah, and it, it shouldn't really be surprising. No one should be surprised at this point when he he does good. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You talk to anyone in the IndyCar paddock who the fastest guy is pound for pound each and every one of them is going to say, Will, he is always fast. He doesn't always get the results that go with it because of either himself overdriving and doing stupid mistakes or stuff like the ECU and other various curses. But no one should be surprised when when he's throwing down heater after heater. It's only a surprise at this point when nothing happens and he actually gets a result that goes with that insane speed. You know, I think that's kind of why the surprise happens is because it's not as cons- it's not as consistent as we as we all feel like it should be with him. He's got the pace. I feel like he has the consistency there. It just sometimes it for whatever reason, I, like you said, sometimes from himself, it just it, it doesn't happen. Even though it should. Yeah, that's yeah. Are, are we can we legitimately talk about I mean, we joke about Ryan Hunter Ray having the cartoon anvil fall on him. Are we kind of looking at that with Team Penske at this point? They're. If something can go wrong, it is at this point. Absolutely. I mean, outside I mean, of Joseph Newgarden's performance taking pole, 
fastest lap of the race on Saturday. 76.64 seconds by Joseph Newgarden. Fastest leader lap, 76.87 seconds by Will Power. These cars are fast. The speed is there. It's little things that are hammering these guys week to week at this point. I mean, you, you can make the argument that you could say it for the whole team, but <laughs> now nah, I've, I've been watching Anvil's fall on the 12 car for <laughs> years now. He, he could and should easily have way more championships and at least one more, one or two more Indy 500s if it wasn't for a cataclysmic mix of cursed luck and his own stupidity. Yeah, and, and we saw a little bit of it start to break on Sunday with Newgarden coming home second behind Pato. Uh, Power was sixth. Pagano was eighth. Scott McLaughlin is doing rookie things. He finished in the 20th position one lap down. Um we know the kid is good. It's just a matter of when he gets the feet under him. Um, but for the top three guys at the front of the Penske team, Sunday was a little bit of redemption, but not nearly as much as what they're going to need at this point in the season. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It, um, it, it was a good showing, but the fact that they couldn't pull out a win Mm. I, I I feel like they could have gotten Newgarden that win. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of shades of 2013 with the the top teams struggling and different faces and organizations showing up and being at the forefront. Because, I mean, you look at 2013, Penske didn't win their first race till Texas right around now with Helio. So and that season, a lot of other a lot of other teams and drivers were were running good. Yeah, of course, Scott ended up taking the title like he usually does. But there were a lot more different players than like there is now. I mean, heck, Scott only has one win. We're looking at. Had a serious battle between Pato and Polo, which is something that our own Jason Owens already predicted. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, now here's it, it's funny that, that you bring up the lower teams and the success they're having this year, because. In reality, it's not as prevalent as we think. It just looks that way. Pato Award is your new points leader, and we'll get to me looking like an idiot one week ago in just a second. Pato Award now has a <laughs> one-point lead over Alex Palou. Dixon is third. New Garden is fourth in points. Renus VK for Ed Carpenter is fifth. Pagano sixth. Marcus Erickson seventh. Graham Ray Hall eighth. Colton Hurda ninth. Takuma Sato tenth. When we think about the top three teams in IndyCar, I would say you would you could legitimately say it's Penske, Andretti, Ganassi. In any order, those three are your top three dominant teams. Looking at the top 10, the only drivers that are not in that list, Pato, BK, Ram Rahal, and Sato. And you could even put Rahal Letterman as kind of a 
a 1A type of team. They're not a B team by any stretch. So we are right. seeing a lot of chalk at the head of the field. It's just not who we might have expected. I feel like consistency has a lot to do with that. Um, best example I can think of would be Colton Herta. You know, he's got, I, I, we've talked about this before. He has really good finishes. And then his next race, he drops to the back of the field. And then the I, one after that, he'll finish high he, up and yep. then he'll drop back it, again. Here's Colton Herta's point that, tallies. That, that adds up. Point tallies round by round. Eight, 54, 8, 30, 17, 37, 16, 32. I mean, he's all over the place. Pato is yeah. sitting on 34, 11, 35, 51, 15, 65, 37, 51. He's earning, Pato is earning points at a very consistent clip with a couple of outliers thrown in. Where this championship really gets to be pretty insane is if not for Scott Dixon's issue at Indianapolis, he's running away with this points chase, uh, points chase. 35, 30, 53, 35, 23, 36, 25, 26. He is being very consistent Scott Dixon-like. It's just the 36 points from Indianapolis is what's hurting him at this point. Everybody else is just wildly inconsistent. Consistency is what gets those championships. I I still think this championship is wide open. Even like even with our first repeat winner, and even with um, you know, historically, a lot of times whoever wins at least one of the Detroit races, they go on to win the championship. I still think it's wide open because of <laughs> how consistently inconsistent some of the front runners are like the current front runners that we've got this year are yeah i mean because you know pato is stupid quick polo is stupid consistent and scott dixon is stupid well everything scott dixon i mean he, only a fool would count him out even if he is mathematically eliminated i will still look at him and go mm, that son of a bitch is up to something he's still yeah yeah dixon's eliminated with two races to go but he still wins a championship somehow here's here's <laughs> one of the interesting things when we look at the Standings IndyCar does this very nice little thing where they break down road and street courses versus oval points scored. We only have one oval left on the schedule at coming up at Gateway. Renus VK is your total point leader amongst road and street course drivers. He has scored 154 points to Pato's 148. Uh, Alex Palou has 153. Dixon has 139. Joseph Newgarden has 143. The reality of this, looking at at how these drivers are scoring points, you can go all the way back to Graham Rahal in eighth and say he's scoring within 15 points of where everybody else has. 
that's three positions inside the top five. I So to call me an idiot, I asked a week ago if this was Alex Palou's championship to lose. Let's flip the script here now and say, how far back could a champion win? Could we see a Colton Hurd a championship sitting ninth in points uh, about 97 points back of Pato at this point. Got to have that consistency. So far, only only Dixon and maybe a couple of other people in the field have had it so far. Yeah, if he goes on a run with the way the points are, he can easily claw his way back in. We're still way too early in the schedule. A Dixon. lot of things still can happen. Dixon is getting those Al Unser Jr. quiet points. I think that's what makes I think that's what makes him so scary this year. Cause he realistically, when you went through those, he's really only had one bad race, and that was at Indy. That's it. That's and now Indy is double points, which makes a huge difference. I mean, Elio is sitting on 103 points still and is let me see where is he uh currently sitting 20th in points ahead of james hinchcliffe uh ed carpenter roman grosjean oh man hinchcliffe is i feel for him ouchies yeah hinch is Let's talk about this for a minute here. Is James Hinchcliffe in big time hot seat territory? I don't think so because if one of our bringing in money. And see, there's the key. One one of our colleagues at Esra Graham is very is uh, works for uh genesis and is a big fan of hinch and the whole company is a big fan of hinch so and the the way that he talks about hinch he's frustrated with the performances but you don't get the sense that hinch is really in danger of losing it i think hinch is going to be fine purely for the fact that he's doesn't have to worry about sponsorship therefore he's good because like he he's he's still better than veach i believe uh results wise and he's better than veach because you know hinch is capable of more we've seen hinch be capable of more nobody knows why the hell he's kind of cheeks this season but we know that he's usually not cheeks and so with all that, he's earned himself enough leeway to at least get one more year, at least. Okay, that's I would say that's a very fair assessment of things is we're at least going to give him another year. What happens if this continues? I mean, in all reality, Hinch finished 17th last weekend. He had a very anonymous weekend. Um. The inconsistency in driver finishes kind of continues all the way through from top to bottom here. Jack Harvey finishing 16th 
Dalton Kellett possibly getting a career best 18th place finish ahead of Scott McLaughlin, Will Power, Ryan Hunter Ray, Max Chilton, Grosjean, Jimmy Johnson, and Felix Rosenquist. It's really hard. How about to Jimmy pinpoint. Johnson getting his elbows out a little bit? I was just gonna say, Jimmy Johnson <laughs> looked a whole lot of fun this weekend. I, something he, in that guy's like brain is starting driver. to click. Yes, he did. Something is clicking in that old dog's head. Might have to give this man a watch. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Jim, Jimmy is, he's doing interesting things. I'll say it that way, because I don't think anybody expected him to come into IndyCar and, quite frankly, be anything other than bad. And, yeah, we saw that a little bit early in the season. We're not seeing the ugliness that we saw. I mean, even he had a little self-spin in race two, yes. Detroit's not exactly the easiest place to get around. And you could see how not winded these drivers were that have done this for a living. I mean, Colton Herta was pretty well drenched through. Will Power looked exhausted, frustrated, everything else after race one. And they were just as bad after race two. Like, I mean, it. Detroit yep. is not an easy weekend. And oh, by the way, let's head to Elkhart Lake where it could be 140 degrees in the shade this weekend. And one of the toughest natural terrain road courses you'll run all year, too. Yep. That the humidity is a killer. Yeah, because like in all of the the indie leagues I'm on and I racing when I, I get done with a road because these cars are just ridiculously hard to drive on road courses you have to be anywhere near fast you have to be on the absolute edge of control and so driving this car that hard lap after lap keeping extreme focus knowing that because you're on edge and these cars are so fast and crazy having to be focused for that i i'm completely exhausted when i finish a race and we're only like half real life distances and i'm sitting in my jammies in my freaking <laughs> sim rig which is just my on my wheel t connected to my desk on my disc chair like i'm not dealing with the 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 suits and the humidity and all that and i'm exhausted i can't imagine yeah that that too i i can't imagine having to deal with all that i, I want to i'd like to i'd like to be in that uh, there where they are but <laughs> that's a discussion for another day <laughs> i in, in one of the things that we can't necessarily overlook here is the role that that road america and this specific round have played in the championship. A driver who has won at Road America has gone on to win the IndyCar Series championship seven times, going as far back as Mario Andretti in 1984. Prior to last year, Scott Dixon getting race number one, it was Sebastian Bourdais in 2007. So Road America has not always been the best of indicators. 
when it comes to who may win a championship. However, since 95, a driver has won the ninth race of the season and the IndyCar Series Championship 11 times, dating back to Zanardi in 1998 at Portland, uh, Hunter Ray in 2012 at Iowa, Dixon 2015, Texas 2018, Texas, Joseph Newgard in 2019 in Texas. Going to your point, James, that you made a little bit ago, we're now starting to get into that kind of meat of the schedule where you better start putting results up. It's time to lock in and start getting the consistent results. Absolutely. This, yeah. this is where those quiet points are really going to start mattering. Like if you're not consistent, like if you're not consistent up to this point and really gunning for the championship, it's you're, you're not getting it. It's not going to happen. Yeah, it's severely, um, as my dad would say, it's um, poop or get off the pot time. You really have to, this is the time where you prove if you're really a contender and you're worth all the talk. We're in the meat of the schedule. We're in where the part of the schedule where it shows the driver skill. This is where you need to show, hey, I'm for real. Now, for those of you who are of the I'm going to find old races on YouTube variety, here's one to look for. The first race held at Road America for the cart series, September 19th, 1982. Actually, the day I was born. Listen to check out the superlatives on this race. Widest margin of victory, one lap. Hector Rabake over Al Unser. Wow, okay. Um, let's continue. Fewest drivers running at the finish, eight. Fewest drivers on the lead lap, one. A caution-free race. Fewest laps led by a race winner, one. Hector Rabake, 9-19-82. So it appears that everybody ran out of fuel or broke on the final lap. That's something that we can't. Yeah, that just sounds absolutely intensive, a race to go back and watch. But it speaks to Road America is not a place that you can have an issue and get back home. There is no limping the car home, getting up the hill to the pit area. You really need to be consistent and clean when you're trying to get around this place front stretch too Uh, well that's what i'm saying it doesn't matter where it happens if you're past pit in and you have a problem park it you're done because there's no way you're getting all the way around and back to the pits this will be a good one i say this one's going to be a good one but let's we're we're almost a half hour in here let's go back to detroit for one kind of big discussion that I think needs to be had, uh, and that is the implications of Felix Rosenquist's accident, which was it was scary when you saw the car, how the car was buried into the tire barrier. Even scarier when you consider the fact that the car is a flyby wire. 
There's no mechanical connection between throttle pedal and the throttle body on the engine. And that car went full open. The kill switches didn't work. The safety systems didn't shut off. That car was at full throttle when he went into basically head on into the barriers. I think it would be foolish for a revamp or at least a real good hard look at what the failure was to not happen. Um, Like that's it. That's not something that we see hardly at all. Least of all in it at this level of motorsport, that's not something that we see very often at all. Um, I'm very, very glad he's okay. Um, just the sheer force of that impact was scary, though. It, that was probably like, the the scariest part of it was the fact that it was instantaneous stop, and and I would imagine yeah. that's why the AMR safety team elected to put a neck brace on him, take the very cautious way of getting him out of the car. It, that whole thing was just bad. How the car buried itself on the tire wall meant it was unstable over the course of extrication. It, it was just generally not a good situation. I, I'm a little bit concerned by the fact that IndyCar did not almost instantaneously go red on that because you still had, they were working on Felix and you still had cars coming past. Yeah. The way the wall gave, I mean, you they knew they were going to have to repair that wall. So what's the point of circling two or three additional laps under yellow? What, just to bunch the field up? You're going to put them under red anyway and not let them work on the cars one way or the other. So, bring them in and get the lineup sorted and give your safety crew some room to work. I feel like with, with a crash like that, um, I agree that an instant, an instant red should have happened. Um, lineups, they could sort that out when they send them back out. That's not, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, that, that, that was, whole situation was it, it's bad. one of those where, and I don't know what the process is in race control. Uh, ultimately, it's Kyle Novak's call as race director. But they did the same thing even when Robbie Wickens had his crash at Pocono. Mm-hmm. They circulated under yellow for a couple of laps before they brought everybody down pit road and stopped it. There's some wrecks where you just say, we need to, we need to stop the racetrack. I get you have to get them back to pit road, or at least you you want to try to get them back to pit road. But without a full track blockage or something, I don't see any reason not to put the red flag out and say, car 16 down pit road, you're going to be first in line. And then you pull them back off and you sort the lineup out. I mean, hell, put a quick jack on them and tow them around in the pit area. You know that... <sighs> I saw that happen at uh, Lucas Oil Raceway when I went up to Indy. The the instant there were it was in the Silver Crown race, and then on the previous night it happened during the uh, midget car race. They, I, I remember hearing the announcer say, "Yeah, like if you know a crash can happen, but if the the second that someone goes upside down, it is an immediate red flag. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts." 
and they have Man. less. They have fewer timing loops than IndyCar has. IndyCar has at least five of them just for sector times. You can pretty close to spitball who's supposed to be where. We're going to yeah. go back to the last timing line, and that's kind of the end of the story. It, there's enough observers around the racetrack. There's enough people that you can put them in in the correct spots. The other commentary that I wanted to make on it was related to the television coverage of how that incident was handled. The the producers in the in in the truck can see the cameras. So they could see Felix's on board throughout the entire incident. They never lost sight of his face from the camera that was pointing back at him and the camera that was on top. There's still absolutely no reason to cut to an in-car shot before the safety crew has gotten there. I don't care if the driver's put his I, visor up I to say I'm you. okay. You don't show a driver until you know what if they're okay or not. Yeah, there was a, a whole lot of that this week. I mean, look at uh, Christian Erickson, the Euros, and all that. Um, not great coverage they were they were doing of him collapsing. I, I I just don't know what was up with with TV coverage and showing things that really should have shouldn't have been shown yet. It, it's it's sort of a delicate dance as someone who has produced auto races before. We do, I mean, we've done a ton of real world, real life racing coverage. And one of the things that we train our producers to do is, and our camera operators for that matter, you don't leave the scene of an accident. And the reason for that is at some point, your footage could become evidence, whether that's in a worst case scenario where there is a driver that is fatally injured. You have police or coroners or somebody who's going to say, I want every bit of footage you have. Okay, here it is. However, the other part of it is it's a great training tool to keep the cameras pointed and fairly close for that matter. Keep the cameras pointed at the incident scene so that the safety team can go back at it and look at it afterwards and say, hey, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? Every AMR safety team vehicle is equipped with remotely controlled video cameras. There's a camera that points out the front windshield that is activated. As soon as they hit the button to go caution, all the safety vehicles cameras start recording. There's a remote control pan tilt zoom camera on the roof of all of those trucks. Some of the crew people may even be wearing body cameras at this point to really see for the, the people that are assigned to the drivers themselves. There's a, there's a lot of benefit to having the video of the incident, but just because you have it doesn't mean you should use it. There's no reason that you have to keep the, why did we need to see the, the clip of Felix going out on a backboard and being loaded into the ambulance? They showed that later in the race. It's like, 
we haven't heard anything on this guy yet. Yes, he was awake and alert. So was Mark Donahue after his crash. And he passed away a day later from a brain hemorrhage. Just because you have the footage doesn't mean we have to use it. I mean, well, hell, they were putting Newman's wreck in commercials, like, weeks after. Like, what even is that? I, you know what? I'm okay with that stuff. If the drivers are okay, I don't have a problem with it. You're, you're showing things are really spectacular. And it, to use the one of the more grotesque of examples, they don't use footage from Vegas in 2011 in promotional campaigns. That's not something that people want or need to see again. But there is some value to saying, oh, my God, did you see that? That's the moment that you're selling. That is your product. It are those holy cow moments. The big wrecks are part of it. So I don't have a problem with using it after the fact. Once you know they're okay, it's just live in the moment. Like. His family does not need to see this over and over and over again. Right. While they're trying to get him to a hospital. Yep. No replays until you know that they're okay. And that I, I would say that would be word from either specifically the driver. Cause I, they've got access to the radios too. Um, or even from the hospital itself, like just hold. Just hold, and show, that's show something that something. you can you can also communicate that one of the reasons that I've heard that they will show that footage is to show, hey, they're OK. The driver does. <clears throat> excuse me. The driver's lost the radio. It, and in an incident like that, there's a million ways that the radio will become disconnected or broken. The driver has yeah. not communicated to the team that he's OK. You can show the team on the broadcast, hey, he's OK. He's, we can see him on camera. It's one thing to show that after the commercial break, but there's nothing that's stopping a producer from calling the pit producer and saying, hey, get somebody over there and let them know he's okay. You don't have to show it to everybody. <laughs> there, there, are, there are ways to communicate information that don't revolve around show your 500,000 television viewers what's going on inside the cockpit of a freshly crashed race car. And, and Felix was very obviously in pain when they cut to him. Yeah. So I, I, I won't harp on NBC too bad, but that one I, I think was a little bit of a miss in the coverage. Looking ahead now to road America weekend. We talked a little bit about it here. Um, actually, Felix Rosenquist is the most recent winner at Road America, picking up the second end of the twin bill last season that was scheduled due to COVID. Scott Dixon picking up the win in race number one. Pato Award, Will Power, Alexander Rossi, Alex Palou, all standing on the podium that weekend. Maybe a little bit of hindsight's twenty twenty, but did we start to see the coming out party for Alex Palou a year ago at Road America? Could have. I think we could have. It's it's 
probably going to take him maybe a little bit longer to really get some real good consistency in, but he's, he's been looking pretty good. It's, it's definitely an interesting weekend to watch because when you listen to the names that we just rattled off, Rosenquist, we have not heard anything on yet. We don't know if he's going to be able to compete this weekend. Uh, I would assume that determination will come later in the week after some post-concussion protocol impact testing and that kind of stuff. But Pato Award with a second place, Alexander Rossi with a third. Rossi, I mean, at this point, it seems like Rossi's on the podium everywhere we've gone in the last couple of years. He's been nowhere to be found, but he put in one of, if not the most dominant performances I have ever seen in that 2019 race here at Road America. He absolutely decimated the field back in 2019. He did. He did. I don't think that's going to happen this time, though. I really don't. He's... uh, Where did he finish in race two? Race one, he had a top ten, but... Uh, Race number two, he finished... 13, uh, 14 seconds behind the leader. Now, he was one of the ones who was sort of caught out on pitch strategy, uh, but still just kind of nowhere to be found. It's not been a good year for Alexander Rossi by any stretch, and at this point, I almost wonder if he's not in write-it-off territory and start doing some testing of other things. But I don't know that we gain much by looking at the result sheet from race two in Belle Isle because Joseph Newgarden led 68 of 70 laps and, and that, excuse me, 67, win. and he didn't win. He came home second. So, yes, it was, if you look at that, it was a street course parade and we saw anything but that. Um, how does... How big is strategy going to be this weekend at Road America? Is that something that you can rely on and say, hey, we're going to throw a gamble here. We're starting 15th, and we think we got a shot. It doesn't really feel like it's that kind of road course. Too long. It's too long. Unless unless everyone can run tight, I don't think it can happen. I I don't think we're going to see the field run as tight as we did at Detroit at all. I would say I hope we do <laughs> because those races are, they're always the fun ones. You know, that's, it, it's going to be interesting to see what comes, what we come up with this weekend at mid Ohio and looking back to the point standings a little bit here. We had everybody within uh, the top three were kind of checking themselves out a little bit. Now we've got to go all the way back to sixth place Simon Pagano to find the 50-point gap that we had within the top four. My first question on the rest of the season is, we know Pato's for real. Can he make it the rest of the way? Can he keep doing what he's been doing? And the same question to me would go for Renus VK. Can these two young kids go out there and keep doing the insane things that we're seeing them do with race cars? I'd like to see more of VK. I think Pato can do it, though, because he's number one. He is the first repeat winner we've had this year 
after what eight races uh and... it was after seven yes and actually it tied the all-time record for most consecutive races without a repeat winner to start the season god that's insane um <laughs> Uh, I I think I I think we're gonna see Pato shine, um, even brighter than he is now. Cause the two races that he's won, when he got out in the front, he disappeared. He was gone. The lap that he made it happen, he was gone. It happened at Texas, and it happened at Detroit. In the second race, after he got past Newgarden in like what a lap, two laps, he built a four second lead on Newgarden. Newgarden was on scuffed tires, but still, I, I think he's, I think he's going to be one to watch. I, I would agree with that in, in a pretty big way. I mean, we have a monster weekend coming up here at road America. Unlike what we saw at Belle Isle where teams got one practice before qualifying or, or two short sessions before qualifying, which was truncated qualifying. We have a very different look here when it comes to how the road America race weekend is going to shake out. Uh, everything actually starts for them on Thursday with a full testing day for the entire road to Indy. Friday has USF 2000 practice, Indy Pro 2000, Indy Lights. Uh, Radical Cup is there as well. IndyCar gets their first taste of the racetrack at 4 o'clock on Friday. There's a lot of very compatible rubber that's going to be laid down this weekend. So from a technical standpoint, there's a little bit less of that headache where you have the sports car tires that you kind of had to get that rubber cleaned off the racetrack before things would start getting quick. We've got a fantastic show coming up all weekend here for, for IndyCar, including, how about this, a noon start time on Sunday. Thank you, sweet baby Jesus. Keep them coming, please. Oh, wow. That's, oh, that's early. The way yeah, it should most be. everyone I know back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> True. That's it, good. It's not quite how, what I would say as a native West Coaster, but I'll give you it. Uh, yes, the early start times are not good for West Coast TV ratings. However, for the fans in the stands, starting a race Agreed. like Road America, you've got, unless you live in Milwaukee, you're a three or four hour ride home. So a race that starts at three, ends at six, you're talking about having to bring kids home after a long day in the sun and everything else that goes along with it. You're getting the family home at 11 o'clock midnight. That's just a long day. Get out, get the race done before the heat of the day. And and there's still stuff on track until almost four o'clock too. After the IndyCar race, there's a Radical Cup race. 
the vintage cars go back out on the racetrack. Uh, it's, it's still a very jam packed weekend, but man, this one is going to be fun. All four or all, yeah, all three rungs basically of the road to Indy ladder, plus the radical cars, the vintage cars. Is there anything better than a full weekend of screaming race cars around road America? Oh no, hard to top it other than Indy. Definitely one of the, uh, the the fun weekends that we get to have here. That's for sure. So make sure you check everything out here on practice sessions and qualifying will be on Peacock. I'm sure qualifying will be tape delayed in some respect on NBCSN. Um, I don't remember if this is a network race or if this is an NBCSN race. Maybe a network TV race, but. We've seen a lot of great stuff out of NBC uh, and kind of an interesting note here that we saw that CBS is kind of not interested at this point. What do we think the future holds for where we're going to be watching IndyCar? Is, are we going to see more and more going to streaming services and are like the road to Indy broadcast going to have to come up in standards a little bit? because? Indy Lights gets the full NBC treatment. Indy Pro 2000 and USF 2000 are, it feels like a couple of GoPros with the public address system, like we're watching single A baseball. I'm really disappointed with how they handle the broadcasting of the, the latter, the feeder series to IndyCar. Cause I, the best comparison I've got would be the uh, FIA with uh formula four three two and one you know you can formula four is a little bit harder to to either watch or to find but formula three and formula two have broadcasts that are just as good as formula one i and geez like the the road to indie races they happen to be just as good as some of the IndyCar races sometimes. And I, the, the best base I got, I, I have that from is from when I went to uh, the carb day classic, the, those races were action packed. Like I, I feel like it's foolish to not treat the feeder series with respect. The best I can say, cause it's, it's, it's disrespectful to the series. Like you, you have eyes on the main series, but you don't have eyes on the drivers who are coming up. You know, like there's, uh, it's very the hard. 500 is probably the best example. They were talking about so many drivers in the field, especially who were at the pointy end of the field. It's like, yeah, these are all road to indie graduates. I literally never would have known that if they didn't mention it because None of it is ever shown in a way that's really accessible. They don't make it accessible. They don't give USF 2000 the time of day. They don't get the IP2K series the time of day. They God, they don't even give Indie Lights the time of day. And it's it, it shows and it's upsetting because those fields are stacked, especially the USF 2000s. 25 cars going around Lucas Oil Raceway. Are you kidding me? How could you not have cameras on that? And not only that, but 
the racing was it the carb day classic or carb night classic that became the carb day classic day after carb day classic whatever you want to call it that <laughs> had caution free races from usf 2000 and indie pro 2000 and they were tight those races were they absolutely were. fantastic i get the production costs to put on the big broadcast style show is more than what Anderson promotions is going to be willing to put out. You're, you can't sell the eyeballs. You can't sell enough sponsor dollars to make up for the cost. But with that being said, with the exception of places like road America that are absolutely massive, I mean, you're talking miles and miles of fiber that you have to run to every camera. For. A race should, you should not feel like you're watching something on flow racing or dirt vision when you're watching a road to indie feeder series. You graduate from local tracks to the road to indie. That's where all of this stuff should really start to step up. And I know Anderson Promotions is not flush with cash that they're going to go out and spend $500,000 a weekend on broadcasting. But there's a little bit more that can be done. I mean, we're we're really not doing this series justice whatsoever. It literally, the graphics are like race monitor. It's timing 71 is what's in the upper left-hand corner of the screen for graphics. So yep. that that tells me you have literally one person that is running the production. Put the graphics up and just flip camera to camera. Keep your eye on because they're all fixed cameras. It, it kind of boils down to the networks are not going to let somebody else touch their equipment. So how does Anderson Promotions either run a separate broadcast or they have to turn around and say, okay, we're going to pay all the money for the broadcast guy. It's, I mean, the, the camera ops are not cheap. The, the technical directors and everything else are not cheap. But man, what a perfect training ground for people. We're going to get you it some is. experience in the truck. No, you're not going to have all the bells and whistles and 800 cameras like you have for IndyCar. But, man, you can get the new guy some laps here, especially in the summertime. Hey, intern, go grab that camera. You're working for nothing. Not you steer it. Intern, you can, bro, you could literally go up to colleges and say, hey, who, like, go up to a sports broadcasting program at a college and say, hey, who wants to work in the truck for a bit? We got an event coming up this weekend, and we could use some people. You would have so many people hopping on that. I, I, at least I feel like you would. I, I tend to agree with you. The, the argument always is you have to pay people what they're worth. There's the costs that go into it are pretty big, you know, Take the cameras that were all locked down in Detroit and put a camera op on them. At a minimum, you have to house them for the weekend, feed them for the weekend. 
team up with a university, make a scholarship, see what it's happens. A, I, like I said, I don't necessarily <laughs> disagree. I, I think the, there are too many camera ops and producers working in auto racing streaming right now that are not paid what they're worth. I don't want to see that start to creep into things like the road to Indy because then it becomes a race to the bottom of how cheaply can we do this? But yeah, we, we can do True. more on the broadcast side for the road to Indy stuff. Um, looking at what else we have coming up here over the next couple of weeks, we actually get our first break in quite a while here after road America, July 4th at the mid Ohio sports car course. Then we go August 8th. We go almost a full month without racing action because of the race that was canceled in Toronto. Down to the streets of Nashville. The question becomes, oh boy. what race becomes a doubleheader? Is it mid-Ohio? Is it Gateway? Where is the What race is going to be the next doubleheader that we see to replace the Toronto race? I hope Gateway. We need more ovals on the schedule, and so I really hope it's Gateway. If we've all, they've already done a doubleheader at Gateway, we need more ovals on the schedule. I agree. I I think Gateway would be dope. I I feel like it's going to be Mid Ohio though. I I really think it's going to be Mid Ohio. I I would pr- much prefer Gateway, but I. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I see that happening. Uh, yeah, there there's pros and cons to both. Um, mid Ohio is a network TV race. So you will have a little bit bigger coverage than what you get on the NBCSN races. Um, the other thing that goes along with it is you do have the big gap to Nashville. Whereas you go from Gateway August 21st, the next race is at Portland on September 12th. There is a gap there, but it's not as big of a gap, if that makes any sense. You're, you're talking a month off between Mid-Ohio and Nashville. Could we see an oddball that they throw in? I mean, IndyCar is not exactly publicly saying we're going to throw something against the wall and see if it sticks. but. I don't even know that there's time to promote a race anywhere else at this point. Nashville double double header. Call it Nashville nonsense. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Yes. Then we show up and it turns into Baltimore or San Jose and cars are jumping off the bridge or something. And. Oh my God. Yeah. No, Nashville will not be the double header as, as, fantastically no. cool as that would be Nashville will not be the doubleheader. I, by the way, a 5 30 no, PM Eastern time one. start for that one. Let's go heat of the day in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, the first weekend in August. I'm telling you right now, that race is going to be abysmal. Like we, we saw drivers visibly damp today. Um, it's, it's going to be just as bad because they are i mean not only are they going right over the river they're going to be right next to the river so they're uh they're they're going to be feeling it they're going to be feeling it if if it doesn't if it rains it'll be a spit of rain and it'll be 
stupidly humid. Um, but more than likely, it's just going to be really, really hot, really, really humid. So it's what just, you're saying is for those fans that are coming down, be prepared to drop, well, everything you have at Tootsie's Orchid Lounge a couple of blocks over from uh, the, the excitement that's yes. going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if, if you're coming to Nashville, you need to bring a T-shirt, some shorts, an umbrella, maybe, for the sun and for the rain. Bring some sunscreen. And $80,000 to spend on Lower Broadway. Uh, only place nah, in the bro, world you can... That's, that's, that's you only, just on parking. Yeah, really. Only place in the world that you can go to a Taco Bell at 8 in the morning and have drunk people playing live music. It is Nashville is one of my favorite places on the planet. I absolutely love it. I still cannot believe that Taco Bell is on 2nd Avenue when I saw it. I was like, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'll take it. If we, But let's kind of get into this a little bit here as we get ready to wrap up the show. From a scheduling standpoint, now I understand we lost Toronto, but is it really a good thing to go quiet in the middle of summer? We basically would have gone from June 20th to August 8th with only two races, one of them being on the 4th of July. Fourth of July has not worked for racetracks, at least the big racetracks, in quite a long while, to the point that Daytona even got off the Fourth of July. I, I don't exactly know how to answer that one, only because that gap is it's kind of out of their control. Well, it yes, this year it is. Because of the Tokyo Olympics, the Basically, the broadcast equipment isn't available. So you do have the shutdown for the Tokyo Olympics. But I I don't know. There's parts of this just kind of makes me cringe. For, For those who may not know, IMS Productions is one of the world's largest sports production groups. Uh, they send most of their equipment and the vast majority of their people to wherever the Olympics are. Um, it, it's it's pretty crazy the amount of gear that in the business it's IMSP, it's IMS Productions. That's owned by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar. So uh, that's it. Sucks that you kind of have to deal with it, but I, I guess for this year we'll let them get away with it. Rounding out the schedule, we head to Nashville, back to IMS for the road course race, and then off to Gateway. Pretty busy month of August, and then we are on to the West Coast for the month of September. Portland, WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca, and the streets of Long Beach to round out the schedule. In in closing here, before we get to our recap of picks, how insane is it going to be with potentially three, four, five drivers all having a shot when we get to Long Beach to crown a champion. I may have a new favorite season-ending venue. I, I love it. It's so good. It's so good. I, I think this is going to stay wide open all the way until Long Beach. I, I Yeah, think I think each... Go ahead, James. 
I think each week we're going to be talking about the, the latest person to kind of step forward and throw their hat in the ring as the new top contender. I think every every race leading up to Long Beach, we're going to talk, be talking about how, oh, it's now this person's championship to lose. Oh, now it's this person's championship. And I don't, I can't really think of very many better places to end the season at than Long Beach. Yeah, that, I think that, we're going to have one or two more new winners this season as well. Maybe I, more. I, I would agree with that in a pretty big way. When you consider that none of the Team Penske guys have won a race yet, put the three Team Penske guys up at the front. You're down to, uh, let's see, you're down to five races left potentially with only one repeat winner if each of the Penske guys scores a win. Throw in some of the Andretti guys that don't have a win yet. We could actually go almost a full seat or go a full season and only have one or two repeat winners. Absolutely unreal. But let's get it down to our picks here that we made from last week. James, you are going to absolutely love the shenanigans that went on here. Um, <laughs> it is a, a very close to a tie for who got the anchovy of the week right. Uh, I said the weatherman was going to screw it up. It, it looks like he did not. We had a, a pretty good weekend for racing, so I was a bit of a loser. However, Mike McCullen said Will Power would be the anchovy of the weekend. He is definitely absolutely nailing that one on the head, so Mike, congratulations on the win for your anchovy of the week. Christian picked Alexander Rossi, who was 7th and 13th, I don't know if that qualifies you as an anchovy, but it was kind of the pepperoni and mushroom. It was a pepperoni and mushroom pizza. <laughs> I'll, I'll get very, that. very generic. Very. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was there. Um, it's, it's pizza. It's pizza. It, but it's pizza. That's it. But it was pizza. He showed up. Uh, okay. Our, <laughs> our picks for race winners. Christian took Joseph Newgarden. He came closest with a second place finish. Mike had Simon Pagino, who finished 12th and 8th this weekend. So, very, yeah, very meh. I don't know what goes on a French pizza, but it was very the boring version of whatever that is. I had Graham Rahal, who looked quick all weekend. 5th place, 5th place. Very solid weekend for the Rahal Letterman Lanigan team. In fact, great day on Saturday. Uh, but Christian picking up the win on that one. James had willpower. He, he wasn't even here last week, but we gave him willpower anyway. Um, yeah, so close and yet so, so far away. Let's go to our picks for this weekend. Mike is not here. So <laughs> let's pick who's who do we think is going to be the anchovy of the week? Who would Mike pick to have an anchovy like weekend? All right, Jer. I think that's who you would pick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, would probably. He would, he would. Will power out his fight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just, just to bury James a little bit further. Uh, we'll send him a message. We'll either give him RHR or Will Power. <laughs> just because this may turn into a fantastic running joke at this point. Um, all right, 
Christian, who you got? Who's your who's the anchovy of the weekend here? Oh man. I feel like this is kind of a mulligan pick, but I think Hinchcliffe is gonna be like just I, I don't think it's gonna be good for him at all. We we may actually have like, to start putting criteria on this because if Hinch does what he's yeah. done all year and he finishes 17th, you know, 18th, whatever, does that really make him the anchovy or does that just make him running up to par for what he's been doing? And that kind of hurts because I, I do like Hinch, but poor yeah. guy is just nowhere to be found. Um, Let's see. Uh, James, who who are you going to call for your anchovy of the week? Hmm. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to go Pagano. He's been kind of solid this season, but I don't know. I'm just not really expecting a whole lot from him. I, I will. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think this is the weekend that we start to see the big points shake up. Uh, Alex Palou finished 15th and third in two races at Detroit. He got his one junker out of the way. And I hate to make this pick, but I think Pato Award has something this weekend that just doesn't. He's either really on or really off. And of late, it's been all on, and he's been pretty spectacular. I'm going to say Pato Award is the anchovy, pineapple, whatever you want to call it, of the weekend. So now we're time to our picks for winners. James, we're not even going to bother talking to you. So you make, you're going to pick Will Power. So. Who is Mike McCullen going to pick for race winner this weekend? I think Mike would say Pato. Hmm. James, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I don't think that's a bad choice. Okay. Two votes. One has him as a race winner. One has him as the pineapple of the week. Pato Award getting at least a whole lot of discussion points. By the way, how have we not talked about him a ton in the last hour or so? That's kind of ridiculous. Excuse me. Uh, (laughs) Christian, who you got? Who's your pick for this weekend? Um, I think Graham Rahal is going to work some magic this weekend. Because he he had a really solid weekend in Detroit. I think he's going to build on that. Because he's sort of been like Dixon being pretty consistent, getting some good points. I think he's going to pull something out this weekend. I, I would say yeah, it's- last year. Last year, he Graham looked really good at road America. He probably would have had a good finish in uh, race two with how it was looking. If will didn't go full, um, whatever the hell he was doing on the the opening of last (laughs) second road America race. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I, I tend to think it's not a bad pick. Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan racing has been good this season. And and sometimes good is good enough. 
currently sitting eighth in points with Graham. Sato is 10th in points. A couple of top 10 finishes, top five finishes for both of those cars would not surprise me one bit. Um, I think it's it, they're interesting picks here, but when we go back and look through the results post-merger here, so going back to when the IndyCar series that we know today returned to Road America in 2016, Will Power, Scott Dixon, Joseph Newgarden, Alexander Rossi, Scott Dixon, and Felix Rosenquist picking up wins. The only outlier in that group is Rosenquist one year ago. Everybody else, every other race has been drivers at the pointy end of the field that have been towards the front, maybe not leading in points, but towards the front in points. Uh, so I'll go the other way and say your road course points leader, Renus VK, will pick up the win this weekend at Road America. Yeah. I can see it. I, I can see it. The kid has... I think needs, it's a bold move, but I can see it. I The kid needs a couple of wheelbarrows to carry his stones around, and Road America is a <laughs> place that absolutely rewards the brave. For all the same reasons that I'm picking Pato to be the anchovy of the week, I'm picking VK to be the race winner. It, it's one of those places that it rewards almost stupid bravery at times being willing to, to force the move and you've got to have a car going into that place you've got to have a car that's going to be quick and have a ton of power behind you i think the chevys will do all right this weekend but with that we will wrap up this edition of pizza at the pagoda we will be back next monday with a recap of round nine of the ntt indycar series championship the Rev Group Grand Prix at Road America, a tribute to first responders is how the race is titled. We will look ahead to 4th of July weekend and the race at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. And it'll we'll have a couple of weeks here where we can start to talk about silly season and, and some of the other stuff that's coming up here is we're at the halfway point here already, gentlemen. Pretty crazy to think about that we're already just we are halfway through this 16 race schedule for the NTT IndyCar series. Been a lot of fun so far. We've got a whole lot of racing coming up. But for Christian Jasper, James Watson, the absentee Mike McCullen, Tony Patty, who I believe is doing marriage preparation, which is why he hasn't been here the last couple of weeks. Uh, well, he's doing what he's told to and getting ready to get married. Uh, we'll wrap things up and. I'll say my name is Chris Graham. It's been a pleasure to have everybody listen here. We'll talk to you next week with a big old recap from Road America. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Peace.